This is CliffCentral.com. CliffCentral.com on a Thursday afternoon at one o'clock. Time for another edition of Between Two Femmes. Hello, I'm Mabale Moloi. And I'm Aspasia Karis. Uh, we missed, we missed you last week because we, we were, we were not here last week. We didn't do our show last week, but it's good to be back. And more importantly, it's good to have you back, Asfasia, because you've been away in Greece for the longest time. I must say, it's so nice to clap eyes on you, Mabel, <laughs> as opposed to just hear you. And you're looking fabulous as always. As are you. Oh, thanks. good hair. Oh yes, the braids. <laughs> um, yeah. So as always, if you'd like to get a hold of us, oh eight six one triple five one eight nine. That's the number to call, or you can message us straight through to WeChat. Our official account is Cliff Central, or tweet us at cliffcentral.com. So uh, a lot to get to today. So let's not waste any time and get straight to it. And uh, with the women's news, shall we? Mm. Shall we ask for Let's. Now, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was beside themselves and they got a little bit excited when uh, a, a hacking group who called themselves the Impact Team decided to make everyone's life difficult. And they said, if you've been using Ashley Madison, a.k.a. the cheating website, mm. we're going to make all your personal details public. And so that is what they Which have they been then doing. Did. Yes. Now, um, the most recent development is that there is an American pastor who has committed suicide after his details were made public as a user of Ashley Madison. Um, this happened six days after his name was exposed, and his name was exposed on the 24th of August, so just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's kind of sad because today is anti or prevention of suicide day or something, isn't it? Oh, like suicide International week or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you might be right. Now, Canadian police have said that there have been at least two suicides that have been linked to uh, the leak of 32 million profiles from this Ashley Madison. The poor wife of this pastor went on to say, you know, she was completely shocked. Um, she is convinced that it's something that she would have given, forgiven her husband for. Uh, his children would have forgiven him for it. And she doesn't think that it warranted him taking his life. And she said, obviously, the guilt was weighing too much on him. But she did also mention that he did suffer from depression. So the combination of factors. But, I mean, we were discussing this before, that actually about 70,000 of the users of uh, Ashley Madison totally fake. Fembots. Yes, yes. You, are, you are absolutely <laughs> so correct. Chances are he was probably like engaging with somebody totally non-existent. And this is something that Ashley Madison have been trying to, you know, to deny for the longest time. But, you know, a couple of people here and there did eventually make the discovery that, hang on, Ashley Madison was creating fake profi profiles to lure men <laughs> into spending more money on their credit cards on this website. Just, and they're saying up to 70,000 of these profiles are fake. It's kind of like, you know, when you think about the hacking mindset that they wanted to obviously expose a certain sort of really bad practices. I mean, that's what I understood. That's why they hacked them of the actual Ashley Madison company or whoever they were. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but, but, but definitely were they anticipating? I mean, there was something of like a really moral distaste. They took the moral high ground. Then that's why they were exposing all these people who were using the site. But essentially, you know, people have dark secrets. Should they be exposed 
publicly just because some hackers decided to take a company down. And if you have such a high moral standpoint on the issue, uh, what then do you say to the fact that at least two people have now killed themselves since you, you and your high moral stand ground? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean should now who's, who's, who's supposed to take the blame for that? But anyway, that's the latest on that. It's tragic. It's tragic. And yeah. then um, what was interesting for me, yet again on social media, because this is an area that like, is so hard to navigate. But um, a lawyer, a human rights lawyer, Charlotte Proudman, uh, basically exposed some guy who was a silk um, in in the guy's name is Silk. No, Silk is like a kind of uh, legal terminology for advocates in the UK. Oh, okay. They call them um, Silks, and so she she is a barrister, and she named and shamed a lawyer twice her age after he complimented her on her stunning LinkedIn picture. And she felt that LinkedIn is a business platform Mm -hmm. and it's inappropriate and sexist and misogynistic to start complimenting people on their, on their, you know, profile pics. Well, what did he say? I mean, did he he say that's a nice piece of ass or what? what? (laughs) He was relatively benign. He said that, um, he knew that when when he was commenting, he said, I appreciate that this is probably horrendously politically incorrect, but that is a stunning picture. Admittedly, it wasn't the one where she's wearing her wig. You know, they have, the bar- barristers have they to have wear the these white wigs, yeah. peculiar wigs. Um, but, and she did look particularly stunning. Okay. But, um, but she got, I mean, I think what is interesting about the story is that once she exposed this tweet on and this whole story on Twitter, mm. she got an insane amount of backlash from people saying that her career was now technically over because, you know, obviously she'll never get briefs again or blah, blah. I'm, it was just, there was a lot of crazy backlash. Jeez, okay. Um, because there is a, there is a writer for, what is it, the Daily Mail? The Daily Fail. <laughs> Sarah Vine. Who asked the question, if a man can't compliment a woman, the human race is in deep trouble. And her point was that, you know, a normal woman would have taken that as a compliment. Like, oh, well, he said I look stunning. Thank you very much. So her issue or her point that she was raising is, why is this Proudman woman? What's her name? Why is she so proud? Well, Um, her her (laughs) point was, why, why make such a big deal about it? The guy was being complimentary. He wasn't being vulgar. Well, you see, there is the, the fine line, I suppose, between what you say at work, um, in a professional business environment and, and on, and, uh, and LinkedIn is such an environment, except that people are subsequently, she's received also a whole lot of people sending their own, like sort of, um, experiences where people, men technically have been using LinkedIn as a sort of high end, dating site no they have not <laughs> really yes they send their like sort of wedding proposals yeah you i've been looking at your profile you i need a great lady for marriage <laughs> and raising family just wondering if you'd like a conversation with me and if you're still unattached and single that sort of thing oh look i suppose if you're desperate then you're probably using every avenue that exists 
to try and attract somebody or talk to somebody, I suppose. And you probably want to attract like a sort of like-minded LinkedIn professional yeah, if profession, you're all in yeah. marketing. Or <laughs> oh, okay. Um, meanwhile, Forbes magazine, who are all about lists, have released their list of the highest paid uh, women in television. Now, the women in movies obviously make tons more money than the, the, the ladies in television, right? Um, so let's just go through this list because um, it might be interesting just to contrast the figures here. Well, firstly, uh, men still make more than women in television. That's that's an ev- that's, that's no given. surprise. Uh, twice <laughs> as much, according to these. Twice statistics. as much. Twice as much. So if you, as an it, actress, are earning four and a half million for a project, your male counterpart is getting nine million US dollars. No, that. even in this era of like sort of female-led uh, shows like yes. Scandal and. The what's her name? Olivia. Um, what? No, not, not Olivia Pope. No, the actress. Oh uh, yes, Carrie uh, Washington. Carrie Washington. And I'm also thinking about yeah, um, okay. where the women are the you know, Madam Secretary, um, Tia Leone. Yes. All right. Well, let's just I'm go shocked. through. Let's just go through this list. So you've got Mindy Kaling from mm-hmm. the Mindy Project. Um, she's worth about seven million uh, US dollars at the moment. The good wife's Juliana Margulies took home ten and a half million in the last year. Then you've got, um, I mean, for example, somebody like Jennifer Lawrence. Hmm. Um, she's worth fifty-two million US dollars. So that 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 again just goes to show you the discrepancy between TV. television and movies. Okay. Then you've got uh, Modern Family star, or rather co-star Julie Julie Bowen or Bowen. Yes. Yes. She's Phil Dunphy's wife. Yes, right? yes. She came in at third place. Then tied in first position were Kaylee Cuoco, who is on the Big Bang Theory. Mm. She and her cast members are apparently getting paid a million US dollars per episode. Wow. So she's second. Sorry, she's tied in first place with Sofia Vergara, uh-huh. who has maintained this position over the last four years. Uh, she took in 28 million US dollars in the last year. So those are some of the. Highest paid women in television in the U.S. Interesting. Interesting. And I think what's also interesting is the kinds of characters that those ladies play, if you know what I mean. They're all quite, like I think Kelly Cuoco, is that her name? Yeah. Is like considered the most popular woman in the States. Because of her, the the Big Bang Theory is a big show. Yes, I mean it's. it's but fun. she herself, yeah. everyone just adores her because she's kind of this like sort of quirky blonde, and she's kind of cute and lovable, and you know she. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. It's interesting. So there we have it. Uh, what we're going I to was do expecting, next? Expecting, yeah. you know, a Tia Leone, a Kerry Washington on that list. Well, What's going on? Look, I think. I mean, I don't know how long of a hiatus Tia Leone has had since she got back true, into true, television true. with this Madam Secretary, where somebody like Sofia Vergara has been working over the last has, part, five years. Has. You know, but scandal's been going for for that time. It has been going for a while, and we are waiting for a new season, aren't we? We are, but I think we need to move on. We've got some very exciting, um, because we can chat about this forever. Very exciting news today. Well, I mean, seeing as how we're talking about uh, women in television and it's linked to the arts and all of that, our first guest is an artist who we're going to be talking to. She's just won the F&B Arts Fair competition for 2015, right? Yeah, the prize. She must tell us what that's worth. She must tell Do us. Do they pay the male art prize <laughs> <laughs> the same? 
<laughs> we just uh, uh, we just we just want to get to know her story, find out where she's yeah. from, what inspires her, why she got into into art. The lovely Turia Magadlela. Yep, that's coming up next. Okay, so Turia Magadlela is going to join us in a minute or two. As I mentioned, she is the uh, winner for 2015 for the F&B Arts Fair. And I do believe that it's that opening. Fair, it's opening tonight. It's There's opening the, this evening, right? Well, tonight I think is the, the big social event of the Johannesburg season. I promise you it is insane when you go into this uh, party tonight. It's like a big party. I don't think anyone looks at the art. They're just all busy air kissing and drinking loads of wine. <laughs> but, um, Taria, you better just tell them quickly what they need to stop and focus on, <laughs> which is your prize-winning artwork. Well, hello to you guys. Hello. Um, thanks for inviting me. Uh, today will be the party. <laughs> <laughs> the big celebration. <laughs> and tomorrow during the day, um, you can come through and look at the art. On Saturday, still come through. On Sunday, I always believe is the best day to come through to look at the, your art, the, the artwork because there'll be family, there'll, there'll be families, there'll be children around, you know. It's more relaxed. Uh, people are over their party uh, feeling and the hangovers and all of that. <laughs> so, um, Sunday is, for me is, is always the best day at the Johannesburg Art Fair. But I'll be there. I'll be there throughout the are fair. Are you giving a talk at all? I am. I'm going to be giving a walkabout so you can come through at 11.45 um, on Saturday morning. And I'll be um, just talking to you about my work and uh, walking you through and you can cast, uh, ask me questions. Now, beating out um, all those other, other contenders to become the winner of the F&B uh, Art Fair for, for 2015, how many contenders were you battling it out with you know just just let us know how good you are here actually is it like an art fair kind of reality show (laughs) do you have to beat each other with like paint brushes and things well um if it was like that i definitely wouldn't have uh, gone through i'm sure it's um it's mostly um the galleries that participate in the fair. Obviously, the galleries will put in a proposal and say, we'd like to be in the fair. And the fair will say, yes, you are welcome to be in the fair. And then they are all invited. Oh, no. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And then the galleries that are successful, around 50 or so, will be asked in to put proposals of the artists that they choose um, to represent the fair or the gallery or Mm. you know for that particular year and blank projects the gallery that represents me they chose me so they wrote this whole elaborate um proposal proposal, (laughs) which they didn't tell me about until uh, they wanted me to review it so i did review it it was very it was very good proposal clearly (laughs) (laughs) and then um well, a couple of weeks, months later, I'm sure, then I was told that I've been selected. And it was quite a powerful sort of uh, committee of um, judges. Yeah, but you know, the interesting thing is that I heard that um, 
all the, the I think it was four different judges. Yeah. And normally they will look at all proposals, send the lists around of who they choose, and then they'll go back and choose. But for some strange reason, I heard my name was on um all the four judges lists. Ha. Hmm. That is the success. Now tell us a bit about the work that you're showing because it's really, it's very beautiful and quite, but it's conceptual. I mean, you're a conceptual artist. So like, I mean, I was teasing when I was talking about bashing each other with, uh, you'd be bashing them with a uh, hospital bed. <laughs> no wonder you won. You had a like strategic advantage. Your bashing implement was really big. <laughs> Well, you know, I don't always uh, have make huge work like yes. that. Um, I created a similar piece for um, uh, my show at uh, the Johannesburg Art Gallery early in April. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece we, we put through. And now the new piece that I'll be creating is very similar, but it's now called Imihuzugu. Uh, which uh, is basically, if you if you're from the township, like deep township, you'd know exactly mm. what Ohuzug. I mean, I don't know if my body you know. Well, you know, my Kosa is not that great. <laughs> <laughs> She's from a different you know, deep I'm, township. I'm like I'm a Sotho girl, so you're gonna have to help us both out in this one. Yeah. <laughs> I can do some general Sotho <laughs> slang. For example, Kematata <laughs> fair. <No>. Okay. <laughs> so, um. Okhuzuga is, it, it literally means when you graze, when you fall and graze your knee. Mm. And it's now, um, probably for a long time, but I've just heard it recently. You use it as a state of, how are you? Are you fine? Mm-hmm. And someone will say, I see a Meaning, you know, we, we are struggling, yeah. but we're getting but by. We're getting back up <laughs> on our feet. Yeah. So I always say it's like being on your bicycle, falling, and then you decide, what am I going to do about this situation? Yeah. So sometimes I just want to sit down by the side <laughs> of the road and shed a few tears. Exactly. So that's what, that's the choice you have. And that's what my work is all about. And then how do you move from having that as an idea to then translating it into the actual final finished product? And how long does that process take? Well, it's my life experiences, obviously. So how have I huzugad? Personally, how have I fallen off my bicycle? And, um, many, um, I was, I, I lived in Europe for a while, which, um, was, um, a graceful event where I felt imprisoned in a country because I didn't have documentation to leave the country. And if I did leave the country, I wouldn't be allowed back in. Which country was this? Um, in London, and I stayed in Amsterdam as well for a while. You sound a bit like the current Syrian refugee crisis, <laughs> <laughs> except you didn't have numbers on your side. Well, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure uh, they are huzuging as I well. Think they're huzuging. <laughs> I was telling Mabali last week when when we were chatting from Greece that I was watching every morning I'd go for my run and meet like a hundred Syrian refugees just <laughs> off the boat. Ah, looking, but they were quite happy <laughs> because they were grazed, but they were up and they were going and, and they were alive. And but they... that's the joy of Okhuzoga because you know you can. It's it's not like being you know 
cut and wounded. It's it's a graze, which is is pain, but it's not so deep. It almost sounds like you're describing, apart from the Syrian refugee crisis, <laughs> our condition in South Africa. That too. Yeah. That's exactly another another thing that I'm trying to um, talk about. You know, but I'm, I don't want to be. I never want to be too political or, or too intense in 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 what I try to uh, put across. So it's always from personal perspective. So what kind of materials did you then use in your in your art piece and in your work? Okay, in 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 the Imehuzugo um, installation, I have used um, a, a material called K sheeting. Hmm. I, do, <laughs> I don't is, know what that is. Let me say that I cannot say this word. <laughs> you have to read it, okay. but you can make your inference. It's, it's very powerful. What is it? Just describe it. It's um traditional cloth or cloth. I don't know if uh, you know. It's it's called K sheeting when okay. you go and buy it. You can choose the color. You can have red or, you know, blue or any color you want. Yeah, but the but K the, stands for the K word. Quite literally, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But so do the wars. Yes. The K wars. Yes. Mm. Which you know. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I felt and like. And so when you say that, you know, for you, you draw from your life experiences. I mean, this is exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? It's a personal, it's a personal thing. I am closer. Um, my mother is a Shubi and, and my father is a Bondo. So I am, I do come from that lineage and I've always wondered about my history. Why is it that the closer people aren't seen as great as the Zulu nation? What really did happen to us? Mm. So um this work really unravels. They were called the Frontier Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was changed later. Clearly for people like me. Because <laughs> you can't go around saying that. No. Imagine teaching children at school and you have to say that over and over again. So um that's basically what I'm working about. Who am I? Yeah. Where do I come from? And so, Duria, what does this win mean for you then and for your work and, and moving forward? Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a, an accolade, isn't it? It's, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice reward for, for all the hard work that you've put in so far. It is because, um, I don't make directly commercial work. You know, I don't make pretty pictures. Something that sells on a mass scale. Like you actually need an institution to buy you. Yeah. You need yeah. museums to. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's nice being, um, being exposed to a, a sort of commercial space or where to, to the public at large. And had I not won the prize, I wouldn't even be sitting here. Mm. You know, I, I'd be just another artist who's crazy collecting, you know, sheets and <laughs> fabric and pantyhose. And <laughs> what do you do with the pantyhose? <laughs> That's a I also question. collect pantyhose. I think they're reproducing in my cupboard by themselves. Have you ever? And that's where the single pantyhose comes from. <laughs> well, well, you can pass them on to me because I use them to make art. And when did the art start for you? Um, because, you know, some people, they decide at a young age, I want to be this when I grow up and then life happens and then they end up being something completely different. What was it like for you? Did you always know that this is what you wanted to do? That's the difference. I always knew I never wanted to be an artist. Uh. Oh, <laughs> That's what I was trying to avoid. 
and then what happened? <laughs> so I was born into a family of artists. Um, my mother's a writer. My father is a painter and a draftsman. So our household, uh, my parents were divorced. So these different homes were um, artistic spaces, you know. So, I, so I you think, were revolting. Did you go and study accounting or something? <laughs> you know what? If I if I had brains, then I would have thought of doing that. But I was so lazy in school <laughs> that arts just formulated around me, and it was the easiest thing and the most comfortable thing to do. And by matric, I'd find I'd, I found myself. I found that I was doing art one, art two, art three, sure. English. Africans and maths. <laughs> so definitely. So uh, no accounting for you. No. <laughs> and um, were your parents happy to see that that was the route that you were going to take? Or because, you know, sometimes you'll hear if a, if, if a parent is an actor, they'll say, I don't want my child to get into this industry, into this business. They have no idea how difficult it is. Were your parents happy with your your decision? My mother was, was always supportive with my cho- choices. She... She always encouraged them. She, I, I pity her. <laughs> she was always there for me. My dad was the rough one, you know, because he knew exactly what it is. So he would use uh, verbal, you know, disincentives. Yeah, like you will, you know, go yeah. to a certain place if you chose the arts. <laughs> and um, how? <laughs> Maybe you'll go straight to the F and B art fair social hell and be the winner of the yeah. of the Joburg art fair for 2015. Oh, wow. I'm sure that came with a nice prize. Um, what, Is she allowed to say that? I, no, if if she doesn't want to, she doesn't have to. But here's, <laughs> I, I mean, something that I read where you were giving an interview that was saying that, like, you know, you don't work full time as an artist. No, I don't. What do you do? Because, I mean, my work is very, you can imagine. I, yeah. I mean, I, I make art for art's sake. I don't make art for money's sake because art has to be made. Mm. Um, I do certain administrative jobs at, in different places. I actually was your neighbor. At some point, I worked for Style Magazine. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I um I worked for Style Magazine when Style Magazine used to be neighbors with yeah. Marie Claire. But... Um, I do various jobs. Um, so this is like a great opportunity to maybe like sort of start, like kickstart a full-time art Yes, it career. is. What they do is they give you um, a, a prize of 100,000 rand in cash. And this allows you to create the work for the fair. Because, I mean, you've yeah. got a big booth. You can imagine if somebody wakes you up and says, well, create an exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> so they give you this art, uh, this art prize so that you can create this booth, you know, mm. and, and, and make it the best of what you can. So that that uh, hopefully will generate income and will generate publicity and all of that. Well, congratulations to you on on your on your achievement and your accolade. Just remind us again for us mere mortals, uh, it is the opening night tonight. Are we allowed to just rock up there and and arrive? Yes, you we, are allowed okay. to rock up there. And, and, and not where, tonight, I don't think. Where, tomorrow, um, tomorrow. Sorry. No, you can rock up there. It's I think it's five hundred rand a ticket for oh, tonight for the VIP um, oh. evening. Okay, and where is it? It's at the Santon Convention Center. Okay. 
And um, the prize, I think it's 150. Just um, if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think just go online and check and double check what I'm saying. But I think it's 150 for a Friday night and different nights um, vary with uh, how much it it is to go There's in. There's an amazing program. I mean, a really interesting program. Mm. You, as we said, are speaking at 1145. Mm. But tomorrow... Uh, doing a walkabout. Yes. And then uh, there, there's some fascinating things. I mean, tonight um, there's something that I'm dying to see, which is the dance um, installation. Now, of course, of course, I've forgotten her name as I'm standing here going, <laughs> that dance that I want to see. It's <laughs> this evening, but there's, there's amazing installations, talks. And I think the thing with an art fair is that it truly is a place which is selling art. And so that's what I found interesting about you saying Sunday. Sunday is maybe just a calm day to walk around, but I think a lot of the, the galleries keep on changing the work. Well, some keep changing the work. I work while well, the gallery that represents mm-hmm. me is very interesting because um, the art, the other artist who has a special project uh, on the fair, uh, Jared Ginsberg, mm. he makes uh, these moving sculptures, and they they're very very nice to watch. So it's it they won't be changing his mm. artwork. I'm mm. sh- I don't know, maybe, but he's also having a, a, a walkabout uh, during uh, the fair. Also, his. Uh, a, a, Brother Josh will also be having a talk. I'm not sure you'll have to go online and look at the program. Oh, I've remembered. Completely. I've remembered now. Nelly Siwe Klaba. Oh, and I love watching that. She woman. won the prize as well some years. Yeah, ago. she's amazing to see. Well, I hope that it's all a very. Are you going tonight? It sounds yeah, I'm like going, you're going. I'm going tonight. Uh, when are you know the right? I people. mean, I need to air kiss. Well, this is true. <laughs> uh, Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon and good luck for tonight and uh, the rest of the week. Very interesting. I can't wait to see your (laughs) dramatic use of uh, pantyhose pantyhose and and mattresses and all the the other interesting objects that you have used uh, in your installation that has officially made you the winner of the 2015 F&B Art Prize. Congratulations. Thank thank you. Thanks for having me and um, thanks for such a lovely radio station. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, We'll be back after this. It's cliffcentral.com. Our clients are the lifeblood of our business, and keeping their data safe is critical. I'm worried that client data in the wrong hands could cost us. With MTN Business Cloud powered by Microsoft Technology, your data is secured in world-class data centers based in South Africa. It's always available, backed up, and complies with South African laws, ensuring that you and your clients are always protected. With a footprint covering 23 countries, isn't it time you found out about a cloud solution built to build African businesses? Welcome to the new world of business. It's between two firms right here on cliffcentral.com with myself, Mabali Moloy, and Aspasia Karras. Um, you know what? We're heading into the end of the year and at the, at around this time of the year, I don't know about you, but I'm always feeling a little bit mentally exhausted, <laughs> burnt out, can't wait to just call things an end and then maybe recharge and think about, it's, you know. It's too soon to feel that way. It's Are September. You? Oh, my gosh. Well, then maybe I'm just being lazy. But, um, okay, maybe in the spirit of keeping the engine running until the official end of the year, I thought it would be interesting to talk to Giselle McIntyre, who is the director of the Institute of People Development, which sounds like a heck of a lot of hard work. Institute for People Development. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think titles are just titles, eh? so it's better than you think they are. 
And so what exactly does your your job entail as a director at the Institute for People Development? Um, my main function is to run the accreditation component of it. So we do accredited training as well and then the consulting component. And a lot of that has got to do with consulting in terms of leadership, coaching, management, all of those very inwards at the moment, luckily for us. So, <laughs> so now, pretty, yeah. I thought we were going to... We Well, we've said to people that we're focusing on mentorship. Yeah. And I just wanted to tell you my story, which was that um, – and, and I realized that this had happened to several people, and I've coined a term for it, which is called being Jane. So now <laughs> – does, it, like does it involve a weapon? It sounds very <laughs> no, it will. So um, years ago, I got this like phone call out of the blue. I was working at the Times. And it was, hello, this is Jane Raffaele. <laughs> I'd like to go for lunch with you. I was like, cool, man. <laughs> I was like quite taken aback because, I mean, it was Jane Raffaele, this like sort of doyen of publishing in South African, you know, history, started Cosmopolitan, started Fair Lady, you know, sent um, secret messages to Robin Island in the Cosmopolitan, things like, you know, she was pretty, she was pretty mm. amazing. And I was like, um, sure, I was daunted and sat down and had essentially what was a mentorship experience for about an hour. I got Jane, which was, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> she kind of said, have you read this? Have you done that? This is what's so interesting right now and she it was like stepping into a river like a stream of consciousness which is a really fascinating stream it's, of it consciousness like a very spiritual experience but it wasn't <laughs> like it wasn't a practical experience it wasn't as if she was telling me these are the next three steps in your yeah. career or this is what you should do i mean it's very interesting because years later i ended up working for her but it wasn't i think the intention of her lunch and it was quite interesting in the sense that then I was having lunch with Mandy Wiener, who said to me, oh, no, the same thing had happened to her. And we said, well, we coined the term. We'd been Jane. Mm. And we realized that she does this to a lot of young women in the media industry who she just basically focuses on, focuses her attention and shines her light and does it completely inspirationally and without remuneration or any prospect of return or whatever it is. It's just what she does. And I thought that was an amazing thing. She was giving us the knowledge. In, in, in the process of then giving somebody the knowledge, though, um, isn't it very easy for somebody who is being mentored to lose themselves and then to actually see themselves striving to become the mentor as opposed to remaining themselves. I think it can happen, but I think that's a very good story because it's a very good example of mentoring. Giselle, mentoring. can you just move closer to the Sorry, microphone, no please? Problem. Yeah, thanks. It's a very good example of mentoring because mentoring is, is a voluntary process. It's interesting that a mentor came to you, which I think you should take as a compliment. It obviously <laughs> was, but it, it's not meant to be um, a training situation, which a lot of people think mentoring is. Coaching is training. Hey. Mentoring is about vision. It's about enlightenment sometimes, and I don't mean that necessarily in a spiritual way, but just in a sense of perhaps opening up borders that you may have created for yourself, which someone who has different borders 
or doesn't have any borders is able to to show you that there's other ways that you be, could be going. So it's not really about getting someone to copy you. And most good mentors know that from day one. Um, and your ego is v- unlikely to be part of that process. If a mentor's got an ego, they won't have people following from, for very long anyway. Now, you see, that is something that, that was told to me um, a while ago. I wanted to approach somebody in my line of business and ask them to be my mentor. And the, per- the person who was advising me how to approach this person said, you know, you just need to walk up to her and stroke her ego a bit. You know, <laughs> then she'll say yes, then she'll agree. But you're saying that actually no, that is a complete no. wrong approach. No, because the mentor is having the ego stroked is needs the ego stroking, which always makes me wonder why you would want them to mentor you. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you want someone who has... Confidence and an ability to see their own future so that they can help you see yours. And so when we start looking at the do's and then the don'ts of mentoring, mm. let's start with the do's. I mean, how do you, how do you break these down? How do you classify them? If you can just take us through the list of the do's. All right. Well, there's obviously no real right and wrong, but there, there's some tips perhaps rather in terms of what you're doing. If there is someone in your life and it doesn't have to be someone that you know, it could be someone that you're going to approach that you feel this is someone who could give me usually a life lesson, but it could be career based. And it's someone that I think will be able to give me advice and I call it wisdom continuity. You know, it's, it's a, it's a form of, of becoming invincible because you are allowing something you know to pass on to someone else who probably take it somewhere. Even better. Mm. And approaching that person and then saying, look, this is what I need from you. So mentoring is very specific in what it is that you want. If it's career orientated, it would be a very different person from whether it was a relationship or, or life or anything like that. So the first thing is to understand you'll have more than one mentor in your life. Um, and that mentors are only there for the period in the time you need to be working on that particular thing. So they're not long-term relationships. So the idea is to uh, to identify the person and then to ask them because it's a voluntary process to understand that the person may say no and that that's also then a, a form of mentoring and learning on its own as well <laughs> hey? because yeah. it needs to be voluntary from both sides. And then to understand that you're not, um, it's not like going to Justin Bieber and asking him to teach you how to sing. That wouldn't be mentoring. <laughs> and probably you're asking him for all the wrong reasons in any case. Yeah. So you need to be asking the right person at the right time for the right reasons. And I think those are the, the biggest do's in terms of mentoring. Now, a lot of organizations institute like formal mentoring yeah. um, relationships. Yeah. And if, say, something like this, has been foisted on you both ways. Like if you have to be menteed mm. and mm. you have to be mentored, what should you be doing? Oh, you have to be a mentor. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest problems is that people are, are misinterpreting the difference between coaching and mentoring. Coaching is something that can be a formal process mm. in terms of saying this person is technically very good at this thing and they can show me how to do that. That's why I said I linked it to sort of training. Hey? Yeah. Um, and that can be a formal process. The problem is that the words are used whenever anybody feels like it. You know, so one day we're calling them mentors, the next day we're calling them coaches. You get executive coaches that are actually mentors. So the problem comes in with that. When someone is forced to be a mentor or to go to a mentor, the relationship is odd. And quite frankly, it doesn't really work. Um, it's one of the don'ts, in fact, is that you do need to understand that there needs to be a click. Between the two people, mm-hmm. there needs to be a form of, of a, a need and a want 
a want on the side of the mentor of wanting to give information or advice or experience and need on the side of the mentee of wanting to receive it and yeah. wanting to need to have it. Yeah. I mean, as women, though, I, I always feel men. Let me just rephrase that. I always feel men have a natural kind of tendency to create mentoring relationships amongst each other. So you'll see like a sort of older sort of, you know, mm. gen, you know, person who's, who's, who's got experience in business will take somebody under their wing, will guide mm. them, mm. give them the right kinds of hints, etc. And then, you know, women tend not to, I mean, I don't know if it's like a function of, being, you know, having to compete so much harder to get ahead in business. But in a way, this this is a very crucial relationship. It is. And it is. And I mean, if you go and speak to any really, really successful people, I guarantee you Jane was probably Janeed yes. at one point or another. <laughs> yeah. So you'll find that people who have um, found their place where they belong, well, we won't talk about how important the person is, hmm. they will have been mentored at some point or another, either automatically because it's just a natural inclination for some people to do it, and sometimes because it was purposefully sought out and done. Hmm. Um, I agree with you. I think there are men, men who like to have protégés and it's, it's, it's sort of a, this is my final step before I leave the world of work or whatever the case may be. There's perhaps a little bit less of it nowadays than there used to be because succession planning has become such a formal process. You know, you don't yeah. get to choose your successor anymore. Hey? Uh, maybe <laughs> I that's don't know. a good thing. <laughs> you know, unless you like royalty, maybe you still get to do it. But the, the, the women in business as a rule, and I mean, we often hear it. Eh? That women turn into men when they reach a certain point in a business um, and and are no longer motherly and feminine and all of that kind of thing, which I think is nonsense, I might add. Personally, okay. I agree. But, um, but I do think that they get to a point of competition being very, very strong. And because you're so full in terms of everything in your life, I think perhaps a lot of women do feel, wow, you know, to put one more thing on my plate – of having the supporting structure, especially when they don't understand mentoring, when they think it's going to be this massive process with hours of work. Eh? And it will be time-consuming. Yeah, and it very rarely is. You yeah, know, sometimes a, a good sentence in one paragraph is enough to put someone on their path. <laughs> and how much does experience play a role in being a good mentor? I mean, what happens if you've been a, pri a child prodigy, mm. you become a huge success within a very short space of time and some youngsters looking at you and you're barely 30 and they're thinking, that's who I want to be my mentor. Does life experience Excellent play question. a crucial role in the, in the process? A, there's a big misconception that mentors are old. Yeah. Okay, mentors are not old. Mentors are wise. In other words, depending on what it is you're looking for mentorship in, that person has wisdom in that. I mean, you could be 12 and be a mentor. Seriously, when someone's teaching you how to eat an ice cream for the first time, it's probably not your mother, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and they know how to do it. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, I had a mentee, Percy, and uh, I have to say she's lovely um, and is currently working for another publication. But um, Percy Machaba and she was, they proposed her to me from the Wits um, Journalism School mm. where they started this like whole thing of mentoring in some kind of formal environment. And I have to say it was really quite pleasant. And, and this is what I found that in chatting to Percy, I was like almost 
solidifying in my head what it was that I yes. really thought about stuff. Yes, and that's what happens. It was kind of an equally giving process. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's not one-sided. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the don'ts as well, is to expect that that's what's going to happen. So people who are being mentored will often be told by a mentor, you, you should go and do this and this. And then they'll sort of go, but wow, you're the mentor, you should be... You know, doing it for me, that wouldn't be a mentoring role. Mm. So the, the concept of being able to re-explain something that you're passionate about, something that you've experienced in your life, that's what you win when you become a mentor. Is you get, you almost get that excitement back again of how it was the first time you tried something. Mm. Right? And mm. it does. There's a big win in it. And it wasn't that onerous. I mean, we went for coffee several times and that was that. Mm. And I mean, and it I like drinking coffee. Well, you <laughs> <Me> do. <too. laughs> you, you like drinking coffee and, and wine and champagne. And various other and, things. Yeah. yeah, I have, I have a sort of. But Giselle, do, do we all have the um, capability within us to be mentors or are some people just not cut out for it at all? You know what? It's a good question. <laughs> and I keep getting asked this question and it's like me saying what I think everybody else can do. But I think there are people who are more likely to be mentors. Um, maybe who, you know, I, I live in the skills development world. I, I was, I'm hooked as a trainer. I always say it's worse than golf any day of the week. Okay. You try training, you never get over it. And so to me, the imparting of knowledge is, is a, is a purpose and a meaning in my own personal life. And I think those kind of people do tend to be more likely to be mentors because you, you want other people to love something as much as you do. I do think they're people who are threatened. Um, by wisdom continuity and especially in the formal succession planning world of the world of work, especially in corporates, um, it's sometimes seen as threatening. So I'm going to teach you everything you know and then you're going to take my job. Oh. And so there's a, there's a negative component to that sometimes as well. Hey. But you see, I think the sorts of things that one wants to be mentored in, mm-hmm. like as, as a working person, are like quite like obvious. Like how do you ask for a raise? Exactly. How do you deal with like conflict? How do you, like they're quite, how Mm. did you deal with that stuff? Do you think it's changed? Uh, You know, it's like really practical questions that you'd want more than like, Mm. what did you learn? Mm. Mm. Because maybe what did you learn about, I don't know, accounting 101 is Mm. not actually the question. It's more life skills, which Mm. brings me to my question. What is a life coach? I think life coaches are, are, are basically mentors. Or career co- coaches. So these executive coaches and all yeah. of those kind of people. do It is more the mentoring role. Mentoring has an advice component to it. But you, as the person being menteed, still need to go and, and, and figure it out for yourself and take it from there. So you give an advice and then you need to go with it. So it's guidance, I suppose, is a better word to use. Um, and it is life coaching to a large extent. It is those little, it's those little organizational cultural issues that you don't pick up in induction when they're telling you where the toilets are. Hey, it's the <laughs> things like, even though the boss introduces himself as Sam, never call him Sam. You know, that kind of thing a mentor is telling you. So there can be just a, a five second mentoring of someone that you will never have any mentoring with later. And then it's also important for you to be open to that. Because, you know, finding that, that's a gem in a workplace when someone tells you this is not how you do it, even though maybe, you know, it looks like that, it's not like that. That's what allows you to build on your career. And a lot of those career 
in inhibiting things are done when you don't have someone giving you some advice. You know, how many youngsters get into trouble in the first few months of their job because they worked until half past five, so they think it's cool to come in at half past eight because they must work an extra half an hour. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't know that that's not on, you know. So they need someone to be able to explain that to them sometimes. I always think that the thing that somebody should be explaining to the interns specifically is like, don't just sit in your chair when you're meeting the like sort of, I don't know. Mm, especially don't lie the in your editor. chair. <laughs> but yeah, just get up, introduce yourself. Like yeah. these are important. I'm giving mentoring right now <laughs> to <are>. interns. <laughs> Make an impression. Get up, introduce yourself professionally. Don't just sidle in and like sort of take a seat. And the worst part is I often think it's because people are insecure mm. in themselves. Mm. And so they just sit, they don't know what to do. But what's crucial is make a good first impression. That's right. Introduce yourself. Mm. Say, thank you for having me in your organization. This is who I am. I mm. see it so often. And, and they just the look at me. They stare at me. Yes. And they've like got wide they eyes. WhatsApp at the same time. You oh, know? yeah. And no, Twitter, WhatsApp, Twitter, and, the yeah. whole lot. And anyone who's in a Generation X, unfortunately, my generation, I'm going, seriously, can you look at me while we're having a hello? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I know somebody who's had a mentor her pretty much her entire career. Um, is there ever a risk of people being too afraid to go at it alone? Yes. And though and, and so at some point the mentor becomes this crutch for you. Yes. Is is does that yes. happen? Security blankets are in every environment and mentoring as well. And and that's where it's the mentor's responsibility. To understand, and there, of course, ego is now playing a role again. Right? Yeah. Because someone needing you is always good. And, and when they keep telling you how great you are, I mean, who's not going to like that? Yeah. So, but at one point or another, a mentor needs to take the responsibility and say, look, you need to go fly now. Okay. I'm, I'm letting you go so that you can go and make your own mistakes. I've taught you all I can kind of thing. I'm starting to sound like a Jedi, but that's uh-huh. sort of the <laughs> <laughs> If they can teach me to float, though. <laughs> yeah, I, no, no, no. I like the whole just being cloning me to go to another place that I can be into at the one time. I want a mentor for that. <laughs> uh, wonderful. Although I do see in the, in all those like sort of in London and like the squares and front of Leicester Square and all those places, the Jedi's like those little green Jedi people <laughs> float. What's the, that Jedi called? I don't ask the you green one from about, is a Star Wars yeah, or Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know Star what? Wars. It actually doesn't. And they matter. float all over. They're I, like they've totally mastered that art. I don't know how they do it, no. but it's amazing. Listen, it's I am scary. the loser of my group because I know nothing about Star Wars or Star Trek. So you've come to the <laughs> wrong person. Because Lupita Nyong'o is starring I, in Star Wars. I should get somebody to mentor me in that. And how about right. that? Right. <laughs> I particularly like the mind world thing. Hey? I reckon when once we can manipulate people that well, can you imagine? <laughs> Giselle, thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. It was my pleasure. That's Giselle McIntyre, Director of the Institute of People Development, or IPD. Uh, that's where we'll wrap it up for the day. Yeah. As we have I'm going to go time. back and be Jane. Perhaps I need <laughs> All right. to cut the umbilical cord here. That's like, what are you saying? Uh, and to, we'll chat with you next week. Yeah, good to have you joining us uh, once again on cliffcentral.com. And uh, we'll be back with you next week, Thursday. This is cliffcentral.com.